welcome to Advancing Education, an Alberta Students Podcast. My name is Jonathan Bilodeau, and I'll be your host. Thanks for coming. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, well, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, this is the second attempt at recording our podcast. The first one went tragically wrong. Uh, so thanks again for <laughs> rescheduling and coming back. Really appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, why don't you gents introduce yourself to our listeners? Austin, you want to go first? Let's do alphabetical order. Uh, yeah, beauty before brains. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'll um, actually take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Austin Deck. I'm the Director of External Affairs for Student Association of Bow Valley College and first-year ASEC member and second-year practical nursing student. Phenomenal. I'm Liam Hunter. I am third-year mechanical engineering technology student, seventh-year post-secondary education student, and uh, a second-year kind of returning delegate to ASEC. I'm the president of the State Student Association, co-host of the Asterisk podcast, and uh, dog owner. Wonderful. Hey, listen, post-secondary can either be the worst four years of your life or the best eight years of your life, Liam. Okay, so just take it in stride. I love it. Liam, what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Beans because we didn't we didn't know anything about we got him from shelter. We still got him as a puppy and we didn't know what is he's a mutt, but we didn't know what he like was a mutt made of. And so they listed Mastiff Cross, which was their best guess. And so we did all our research on Mastiffs and we didn't, which he's not. Uh, (laughs) He ended up being a hound mix. But at the time, when we were like thinking about names, we just like named, came up with names about mastiffs, and we didn't know anything about mastiffs other than that they're lazy and they fart a lot. And so we decided to hone in on fart a lot, and uh, so beans. So beans. Yeah, that's good. I like that's it. That's great. Yeah. It's a good story. <laughs> Ended up being a hound mix, but he still has the farts of a of a mastiff. That's well, like the one thing we carried over. He lives up to his yeah. namesake, at least, right? Yeah, I'm not able to have a dog, so I have to. I have a cat that replaces a dog. She kind of acts like it, so it counts. <laughs> I hope my building manager isn't listening to this because I'm allowed a dog up to 35 pounds. You know what? It's their fault. They approved him when he was overweight anyway when we first moved in. But he's still Beans gross. is a hound chihuahua, actually. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's about 80 pounds now. So, Ooh. you know, he'll see other dogs in the hallways and they're all like Frenchies <laughs> or chihuahuas. And like the other owner's like, that's a cool dog. I'm like, you saw nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I have two dogs and a baby. Got the dogs first. Mine are just little fellas, poodle crosses, and they can be real frustrating and annoying sometimes, but they're great. I love my little dogs. And you both got to see my little baby earlier today. We were on a different uh, meeting with some other students, and, and me and my baby boy were rocking out. We were having a little dance party while everyone was talking. Uh, so I get it. Adorable. I get it. Listen, I wanted to have you two on the podcast because both of your institutions have done some really interesting things in terms of governance. So I'm going to start with Austin because you made the change first. So why don't you tell us, it was a couple years ago, so you weren't part of it. Um, you're like the, the echo, the after result of everything that's happened. But um, if you could, please just tell us some of the changes that's kind of happened and like what what does your association do now? Yeah, so it this actually it's funny because this actually started when my sister, my elder sister, was on council. So she kind of started it, and now it's affecting me. So um, we have 
gotten rid of our president and our vice president position and kind of laid the groundwork for a little bit more of inclusiveness and equality on our executive committee. So we now uh, don't refer to ourselves as VPs. We are directors. So I am the director of external affairs. Uh, I sit next to three lovely, lovely ladies. Uh, I have Director of Internal Affairs, Armin Jot. I have Director of Finance, Anna, and Direct and Board of Governors Rep, uh, Newsrat. So we are all equal in terms of our status. No one is in charge of everyone over. And then we also answer to the student council. And so it really helps break up the positions, I find, and it also helps us to come together on a lot more. So it's been super successful in even what we've just seen on paper. What 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 are the names of your SLC members, like your student leadership council, I should say, for our listeners? Uh, they would be just called student reps, student counselors. Okay, okay, yeah, counselors, yeah. that's pretty cool. Because we call ours directors, and I was like, you have directors, and you have directors yeah so when they get an email i think it's counselor whatever their name is so it's gonna be counselor but you get and then we, so yeah we have the counselors uh from each school and then we also have an indigenous affairs rep very cool awesome counselor counselor is a, a pretty dope name i was pushing for counselors for ours and then uh, we went with directors because we didn't want to shake things up too much it always reminds me of like legally blonde when that judge is like approach the bench counselors <laughs> a bend and snap um <laughs> liam why don't you talk to us a little bit about your changes because you just went through them last year you did all the paperwork and officially processed it and this is your first what week what are we week six in the new system here uh so how's it going and what are the changes like a weird way of putting it it is my first week six in uh the new system it is i don't know if it's actually week six uh time has melded together into one long line yeah so i was the vice president external last year of our executive council we were a part of the last ec you know i if anyone ever this has never happened to me but if anyone ever were like ever was just like hey like how do i know you're dedicated i'll be like dude i voted against the existence of my own job <laughs> yeah I'm dedicated to the org. And uh, so, yeah, we had T-shirts made. It's pretty cool. But uh, in our new system, I should just like say the problems first. The problem with having an executive council is that an executive council is really good for smaller organizations when you don't have a lot of staff. So if you have almost no staff, like let's say you just started your student association at your school or you're just a smaller school, often those executive, student executives will do a lot of a lot of work, like on-the-ground work. So, for example, student life or student affairs is like a common vice president role. They often run events or communicate with clubs, etc. So we have an events department at SETSA, and we have a club coordinator in our student experience department. Like We have something like 30 staff before COVID and, and everything happened. And, and we are a, a very large organization now, um, or something in the range of, you know, a $10 million nonprofit organization. So we're we're quite substantial now. And so the problem we had, um, the problem that we found ourselves with is that those EC members, A, have less work to do in some cases, and B, they, they begin to have a strange kind of middle ground, vague, undefined authority area. Like if you think of right at the very tippy top of your organization, you have the elected student representatives, like you have counselors, Austin, we have board of directors members, uh, or we had, we had borders, board of directors members, and beneath them, you have the EC, and then you, they, they all together, you know, run the ED, the executive director, and everyone below the ED is kind of reports back to the executive director. But the EC, even though they're board members, 
usually end up acting more operationally and they end up interacting with staff, which is just fine. But the problem comes when they don't really know their own authority space and it's kind of undefined because they're more operational than a board director but they're less up they're less but they're less strategic than or they're more strategic strategic than staff so they end up thinking like if you have someone going rogue in there they interact with staff and they're so operational if you do have someone go rogue which happens in student leadership sometimes god forbid but it happens it can just throw a grenade into your culture of your organization and really leave a lot of organizational trauma there and so what we needed to do, because we were becoming a larger organization, that, and we recognized that problem, and we also, with the, with the vague authority level, we also recognized a problem with the redundancy of some of the positions, was that we, we brought in some governance consultants, they're great guys, and they, taught, they told us about this model called the Carver model for policy governance. And it's a model where you have your board of directors... And then you have your ED, and the ED does all the operations, and the board of directors does just strategy. And they govern through policy, often instead of making motions, um, which you still make motions. We still use Robert's Rules of Order for our meetings. But instead of directing the operations through motions, being like, oh, we move the board commands that we will have apple juice, you know, like an apple juice stand. Instead, you'd rule, you, you, uh, not rule, (laughs) you, uh, you, you guide the organization through policies. So we have ENDS policies, executive limitations, governance, and ED and board relationship policies. So your ENDS policies are the policies that are the, are the reasons that your organization exists. So we exist for our members. So it'll say like an ENDS policy might be, you know, let's say we existed to provide them refreshment. We'd be like, members will have adequate access to refreshments. An executive limitation policy might be, in that case, they will not have access to uh, the executive director will not sell unsafe drinks, you know, or, or X, Y, and Z. If we really wanted it to be apple juice, we'd say they will not sell orange juice. They will not sell peach juice, right? We'd narrow it down. And you narrow it down such that any reasonable interpretation of that, those policies is deemed compliant. And then if your organization reports back to you on their activities and they're compliant, but you don't like what they're doing. Like, let's say our ENDS policy was they'll provide refreshments. Our executive limitations said it won't be alcoholic. But we wanted him to do apple juice, and he served orange juice. Then we would say, hey, you're compliant. That's a reasonable understanding of the, of the policies. But now we have to change our policies, so it's clear that we wanted apple juice. And it, stops, it creates a clear delineation of authority. So the board is way up here. The staff are below the ED. And you don't have the EC kind of running around, frankly, scaring staff uh, sometimes if they go rogue. It allows the ED a lot more kind of respect and and the freedom of of actually uh, operationalizing their strategic plan while giving the board still maximum control over that strategy. I know it just kind of rambled, but it's kind of complex change. No, I like very on brand. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I'm I'm a rambling man. (laughs) No, I think that's cool. Um... And here's the reason I think that's cool, uh, because ASEC actually underwent the exact same change to the Carver model uh, about, let's call it four years ago now. Um, and, and really, that change to the Carver model is, is entirely responsible for me taking this job that I'm in right now as the executive director, because I wouldn't have worked at the organization uh, prior to that change. So uh, ASEC was an organization that was... Uh, committee driven let's call it so everything was done by a committee or a special group or a working group uh it was entirely um student-led and student-driven 
Um, meaning that some years it was awesome because you had really passionate students who wanted to do the work, uh, who had maybe been around for two, three years already and kind of understood their context and, and could really go in and hammer it. But then some years when you'd have, like this year, for instance, is a really good example year because almost everyone that we have is a first year student. There's only maybe six or seven kind of returning students across the whole province. And so when you have a, a group like that that's new, um, it takes just a little while to get your bearings and to understand what's happening around you. And so years like that, ASEC kind of, you know, I'm not going to say floundered, but definitely plateaued and, and didn't move the needle forward, right? Um, so yeah, we've made that move to the Carver model. Now the board uh, governs through policy. We have a, a very uh, in-depth policy manual. Uh, our bylaws are very kind of straightforward, but our policy manual is very in-depth. I don't know that we've broken it down quite to those same levels as you have, uh, Liam, although we do have elements of all of that included in our policies, mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't maybe uh, articulated it quite the same. I think, I think for our listeners, we should also say, you know, when we're talking about committees and stuff, that's like the traditional, mm -hmm. what's known as a working board model, right? So it's, you have board, you have student representatives who are all elected. If they're interested in finance, they'll do the finance committee. Um, and they can have ranging levels of obligations depending on the organization. But like, if you're really talking about, um, if you're talking about approving a budget, like fine, that's something the students should definitely do. But if you're talking about building that budget, that's something where you really need expertise. So you need, you need CPAs on the ground. Um, you need your executive director with the financial acumen and they will build something that students can approve. And so you still have that student control, but you also don't have people going rogue or inexperienced people kind of throwing a spanner in the works. Um, I should also add that in our, in the Carver model, we're also, our directors are all equal. So I'm the president, for example, but I am in, if you look at our uh, policy manual and our bylaws, I am an empowered director. So I'm just a director who's the public face of the organization. And the reason I'm given a different name is because I work more hours and I'm just given, uh, I'm paid a little more and, uh, I do all the external work essentially. And that's, but otherwise, like if you look at the bylaws, uh, it's I'm the same. I have the same level of authority. I just work full time and I, I get paid, uh, you know, in accordance to that. I see Austin putting his uh, hand across his neck as in a no sign. He's saying I don't get I don't work full time. How dare you? No, I just uh, <laughs> I think it's like one of these things that like students I've actually had students tell me like, well, you make bank off of the college. No. no. So like whenever we talk about like being paid as a student director and you're like, oh, I make a little bit more. I'm like, oh, God, the hate mail. I should be clear. <laughs> I still make less than what I was making as a waiter. Oh, yeah. If I include my tips. In. Listen, to, to all of our <laughs> listeners out there, um, first off, most student association leaders um, are, are paid a pittance. Uh, for the work that they do, it's it's normally like a five hundred dollar or maybe fifteen hundred dollar kind of scholarship or honorarium at a lot of our members. That's what they get. At our bigger schools, they're paid an hourly wage for for working. But here's the little secret: no one tells you is that they work a whole bunch of hours that go unpaid. They're just kind of volunteer hours. Uh, so if you actually break it down, um, a student leader is not making bank. Uh, they're they're. They're barely making minimum wage. Uh, so, looking at my schedule, I think I worked almost. I just I worked just shy of sixty hours this week. Yeah, um, that's that's a typical. Isn't it funny when you realize that you're working like more for the council than your actual like part time job, and you're like, 
what am I doing? But at the same time, you're like, it's it's all worth it. But it's like, yeah. wow. I thought about getting a part-time job as well. And I was just like, oh, but then I might not be able to do as much at ASEC as I want to do. So I have two part-time Sorry, jobs. Sorry, part-time job. <laughs> Dang. Are you mandated to work a set amount of hours? Like, what's Four. your hours? So the executive committee has to work 50 hours a month. Oh, okay. Okay. So you have more room to maneuver at the very least. I imagine yeah. you still work more than 50 hours a month. I think for this month, I'm at, this is my first month in student government, and I am at 160. Yeah, that's about, so, what we're supposed to. Yeah. I, I, I think I slept in my office a few times when I was president because I would just be going all night and I had an early morning and I'd just be like, well, why go home? Oh, fully, fully. Like, that's why I'm like, I don't want to go back to the office full time. It's like, A, I, all my portfolio is external. So, like, I'm going to be there. I don't know. Maybe the board will let me do this. My hope is that I'll be there for like office hours, like three days a week. And then the other two days I'll be working from home. Cause right. like I do sleep in my office right now. My office is my house. <laughs> Liam, you were speaking about uh, people going rogue in their institutions or associations earlier. And as soon as you said that the first person that it reminded me of is Austin, who's on the call with us right now, because Austin, I feel like uh, you got a little rogue spirit lingering inside of you can you confirm or deny uh these allegations put me on the spot i feel he asks, like <laughs> he adjusts his sunglasses he's wearing indoors i Very feel casual radio dj i will say this i will say that conflict is not a bad thing <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I don't say i like to rule through chaos but i like to uh make people know that bow valley college has a voice and so I won't go rogue. Everything that I do gets the permission from my fellow directors, my my fellow uh, wonderful council. But if it comes to like me versus Liam, oh yeah, like uh, there's your bus. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, the problem with that, Austin, is I'm a well-versed bureaucrat. You should never mm. underestimate the power of a well-versed bureaucrat. Exciting stuff. <laughs> All right, fellas. So, um, okay. So, Liam, you have a vice president who I had a lovely conversation with, uh, Dawson. He's great. Amazing guy. He's great. Amazing guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of his podcast we can use because he was walking around outside in the wind, and my editor uh, called me swearing, and he's like, "What am I supposed to do with this raw audio file?" I was like, oh, that's a good point. Anyway, so we're still working on it. But I really like Dawson. Um, how many, sorry, uh, directors do you have in total? We have nine directors, including me and Dawson. Okay. So we have me, the president, Dawson, the vice president. We work an equal amount of time, roughly. And we split up, like, what used to be the external responsibilities of the president and VPX. Um, and then we have seven other directors who work. So they get paid. They work um, a certain amount of hours. They all have their own portfolios. So, uh, you know, we have some on academic council at say we have others doing other stuff. Um, and so we have, that's another thing that we tried to solve with, uh, our, our move to the new structure is that before it was really hard for accountability for the EC, uh, to get any accountability essentially, because the directors would show up once a month. Mm -hmm. And if the EC showed up and let's say one EC member had gone rogue in a, in a bad way and not like a fun Austin way. Yeah. And they had just like charged into the on-campus bar and was like, I'm going to fire all of you. Like if, oh. if that ever were to happen, like the other three EC members could show up to that board meeting and be like, this person is insane. You need to fire them. Right. And the board, because 
they only show up once a month would be like, do we like, I, I like them. Like, I don't really know what's going on. Cause I'm only here once a month. Right. It's not even their fault. Like it's just the nature of the system. At NATSA, uh, it was the power of the EC to remove other EC members. We didn't take it to student council. We just said, don't, don't mess around. I like that, that we should have had, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should have had that even before our governance changed. Yeah. Um, but we didn't. So that was always fun. So your directors all work like what, 10 hours, 15 hours a week, something like that. Yeah. Around there. Around there. Yeah. You know, they'll have, they'll have longer weeks. They'll have shorter weeks, depending on what's up. Right. Um, right. But yeah. But they're filling like the student services kind of role, the event planning, the clubs, like all the kind of higher level stuff that your staff isn't dealing with. And a lot of it is also ownership linkage. I think it's Mm. a weak point for a lot of student associations. And I'd say I would venture to say almost all of them is that once the elections are over, students don't really hear from their council anymore. So we have each of our directors has a school like that's what we call it. That's what we call our faculties. And then they go to that school and they meet with the associate dean of that school. Uh, once a month and they also go into the classrooms not just like during election time to campaign they go in throughout the year to hear what the issues of the actual students on the ground are it also means that they have like each student in that school knows who to contact if they have like an academic concern they're like oh my god my instructor's going insane he's going to fail the entire class because he changed the exam in the last minute they can go to that director whose face they've seen before um and then yeah they're also doing a lot of the kind of student affairs student life bit and a lot of the old vp academic things as well so right. academic council online learning standards um etc but it's they're not necessarily restricted to that as well for example yeah we have a director who will be seeking um you know who'll be running in our upcoming election for our fsaa cabinet member okay because they're very interested in external work and they have the time to do it because they're not there once a month and the, they want that to be their portfolio. Cool. So they're going to be running for that. So it opens up, it gives states the opportunity to spread their, uh, spread their work, not thinly, but wider and amplify our voice. Very cool. And for our listeners who don't know, maybe we have some new student leaders. The FSAA is the Federal Student Advocacy Alliance. Uh, it's a really nifty group that ASEC is actually founding member of. Um, a lot of work was put into that. Uh, and it's our federal uh, federal advocacy branch uh, in partnership with our friends in BC and Saskatchewan and hopefully a few more provinces here. Uh, TBD, but uh, we have lots of conversations always ongoing. Um, but yeah, it's been a really cool experience so far on the federal side. And I'm really glad, Liam, that you and your team is kind of... Uh, opening up these opportunities and making them a bit more um, inclusive and a bit more uh, available for, for other students before it would just be the, the three or four executive council, right? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes your executive council can be not one note, but a kind of a limited demo. And our, we're very, very lucky this year to have um, probably the most diverse set of board uh, board directors that we've ever had at least while i've been around um and my predecessors were around as well um so a lot of unique perspectives that now have access to these kind of advocacy lanes as well and we at states are making the fsa a huge priority for us um we really want to see it grow and, and flourish um and yeah we're really excited about it i hope everyone listening is excited about it as well it's uh yeah you're, you're talking about uh my uh conceptual my conceptual baby and so i take great <laughs> amounts of pride uh in the fsaa and and the services that we're offering to our students 
Um, and the fact that really we're trying to kind of disrupt the federal advocacy game by not charging a, a fee for federal advocacy is just included in our, our services. And so we're hoping to kind of build a new model in Canada around what that looks like. And, and we're hoping a lot of students kind of sign on. So yeah, I, I'm glad SATSA is excited because um, we're very excited. Okay, Austin, your turn. What's it like at Bow Valley? How many counselors do you have? I know you got the three directors, quote unquote. But how many counselors? Like, what's your student council like? So our student council is very much like state. We have uh, a kind of a student rep for each school or program. Um, so the School of Health and Wellness, the School of uh, Business Administration, which is the true school of business. And um, yeah, I I am gonna be honest. I I lose track of how many counselors there is every term. So I couldn't say off the top of my head, but I, they're, they are my bosses. So <laughs> I will get to know them come September right. um, when they elect, get elected. But the last council was amazing. I got to meet them on their way out and they did a lot of great work. Uh, the student council really, I think that we're in this kind of transition place. I've talked about this before, how BVC is kind of going through this place of review and looking inwards and, um, I think that that's one of the places that we're looking at next is how can that position be more evolved? Um, so I think that's, I even listening to Liam, I was taking a couple of things from him because I'm like, Hmm. Hmm. So yeah. Um, one thing that I want to say is like, I think that everyone that is part of student advocacy knows SATSA is so strong at spreading its name like I've been in student government for a month and states is everywhere. So I want to make sure that kind of SABVC is not there right now. I, like I've said before, we need a year to like review and get the facts straight. But uh, I hope that we're there one day. Austin, uh, let me tell you, ASEC, let's call it three years ago, is virtually, um, I'm not going to say unknown. People knew who we were, but we weren't very... Uh, well listened to and our name didn't come up very often it doesn't take very long to change that it takes uh, a year or two of really dedicated hard work and um just consistent effort being put forward and and all of a sudden things change really really fast back in my day Saitsa was virtually unheard of i mean who even who even was Saitsa? it was i was all, gonna say the, the same thing show. <laughs> so i was like we we didn't suck we weren't as advocacy focused i'd say um and also, we had like I would say, you know, normal amounts of professionalism. Yeah. Um, but we, over the last probably two years, uh, under the leadership of a returning president, a first time and then returned again president, we had a huge emphasis put on um, professionalism and kind of our outward-facing aspects. I think a lot of the time, people write off students. Because we show up dressed like I am right now in a t-shirt and a toque. Because I just came out of a week-long conference, and this is what I do. Um, but How you know, dare was... you? I look amazing. Okay, well, <laughs> you look pretty amazing. This is true. I don't. <laughs> but now we, like, focused. I think the reason if Seitsa is known for anything, it's, we hope, professionalism now and expertise. And we really focused on advocacy and i think last year and the year before our board really saw the value come out of the saw the results coming out of that and moving forward we plan on even putting even more emphasis on external work so 
it's it's really all about that turnaround, all about that focus on professionalism and uh, putting the name out. Also, we never shut up, like I am right now. I mean, I wasn't gonna say anything, but <laughs> I was gonna say loud is also a quality. But yeah, <laughs> you should have seen my successor as VPX. That guy, uh, uh, that form, guy was fashion. former chair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, back in my day, I want to make one thing very clear, just in case that uh, they do tune in. Uh, but the two states of presidents from back in my day, Ken and Tegan, they were consummate professionals, and they they were excellent. Uh, Ken was actually chair of ASEC uh, during during my time, so you know, Saito was around. Saito got their name up there. I'm just I'm just joshing. Um, but yeah, I don't want to make it sound like yeah. we were just some chaotic <laughs> mess before two years ago. Um, no, <laughs> we've always tried to put an emphasis on on that profession now for sure well it all it all comes down to like demographics right like sabvc has a huge had a huge um high school upgrading system and so for a long time our student council was made up of 18 17 year olds things like that uh 19 year olds and so now our demographic is uh our, our like the most average student in our population is actually a 28 year old white woman so um that things have changed you know and i think that's also where my job changes where i have to kind of lift the association up and like i'm not good at tuning my own horn but i'm gonna go ahead right now and say that i think i've done a fire job in these three weeks so i mean (laughs) you're on a podcast three weeks into your term so yeah you're getting your name out there austin uh but I think you guys hit on something really important and that's kind of the professionalism aspect and, and the evolution of the student movement. Um, Austin, I think you said it a hundred percent. It's uh, the demographics of the students in this province have changed entirely, especially at our school, especially at the ASEC member schools. We really do tend to have a much more mature um, career focused population. Who's, who's just looking to get an education, get back to work. They're providing for their family. They're, um, you know, they're trying to build their own community at home. They're trying to stabilize their life. Like that's that's really the demographic that we're serving. Um, and yeah, even from my day, I mean, look, when I started as a student leader, there was horror stories of uh, what was then called ACTASEC, which is now called ASEC, uh, where it was just <laughs> a huge party fest. They would bring kegs walking down the street. Like it was craziness, craziness, guys, craziness. Um, and so just like uh, former president of SATSA, uh, current board member of ASEC, Ryan Morstad, uh, put a huge focus and emphasis on professionalism at SATSA. Um, you know, that was the same kind of thing that I did during my time was, was really focused on professionalism and making sure we're serving the people that we need to serve. And it's not about, you know, partying and, uh, you know, just wasting time. Um, it's about actually representing the people you're supposed to and getting some work done. Um, but I think in the student game, I think that it's very cyclical and I think we need to have that conversation constantly because I think some years it gets really, really professional and then there's kind of an emphasis to get like more fun and more accessible and more like, you know, connected with our students. And then you kind of, you go back down the fun side and then there's a focus again to the serious side. What do you guys think of that? I'd say that's true. Um, and I think it also is, I think it's, you know, multi, I think there's a couple cycles happening. It's like, first off, annually, <laughs> anytime you get a new board or a new EC, depending on your school, um, you kind of have to make, sh- you have to get that messaging in. Like when I got my new board this year, I'm putting emphasis on saying like, hey guys, <laughs> Sata, when, pe- when Sata talks, 
people listen. And so we have to make sure that what we're putting out there is quality and professionally presented because we might represent students, but we work with and we are trying to advocate to professionals exactly. and like professionals of decades of experience. And so if you show up in a t-shirt 10 minutes late, they'll wait you out. You won't get a meeting for the entire year and then they will wait for you later because they know they have decades to go in their career and they don't need you. <laughs> um, and then the other side of it is that kind of meta cycle on the higher level where, yeah, you're right. We do go way up into professionalism. Then sometimes we can feel kind of estranged from our students because we're up in some ivory tower. Right. So finding that balance is like, it's just super key. And I think that's why we've tried to focus so much on ownership linkage mm. while maintaining our professionalism at SAITSA. Right, right. What do you think, Austin? Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. You're, I was going to say, you know, when you're a student leader, you have two audiences. You have the uh, administration, the bureaucratic side, the politics side, um, and then you also have that student side. So marketing, if you're a business professional, you would market to those two people very, very differently. And so trying to make sure that we represent the students' voices, but we also can communicate translate those opinions into a way that bureaucrats and politicians understand them is a balancing act that uh, takes a lot of time, <laughs> takes a lot of practice to you get a lot really used to it. And professionalism, I think the standard of professionalism as well is also changing. I mean, uh, back when I started in the workforce, I, even though I'm not that old, I, I hate saying that. But when I first started, like, <laughs> When I had like meetings, if you picked up your phone or picked up at your text or anything like that, that was so not okay. But now in business meetings, it's acceptable for big executives to have their phone if they're expecting a call or things like that. So like our work dynamic is changing, um, especially with this pandemic, things have changed a lot. And so I think that's where it's, it's, that's where like going along with what you said, John, it has to be updated every few years. You have to keep talking about it and driving it home just to make sure that we know what the new standard is. Oh, for sure. I don't think I've seen my executive director in a suit for 400 days. <laughs> it was like, we went home and we were like, you do not have to wear a suit at home. I'm going to tell Mark you said that. I'm going to send him just this clipped part of this podcast and I'm going to send it. He'll right tell to. you he said that. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Jay Decor in a suit once. <laughs> I've seen Billy in a suit. I've seen his dog nice. in a suit. Nice. <laughs> lovely. Very lovely. Well, I I think that's like speaking into this kind of I've I've always thought that like student associations have this multiple personality thing. Totally. If they're if they're doing it right. If they're doing it wrong, then they're all the fun side or all the professional side. Yeah. But like weirdly if they're doing it right, there's the version of them that I think students see which is the the fun part, like, come to our events, we're so fun, we're wearing a carnival, we have a hot tub in the quad, like, and then they are often surprised during elections, they're like, why would I vote? I'm like, you guys just do hot tubs in the quad, and we're like, oh, actually, like, we meet with the government on a regular basis, and mm -hmm. wear suits, and you pay us, so please pay attention. I mean, that was always the biggest thing that I would say, I'd be like, People would ask, well, why should I vote? I'd be like, well, I took $160 of your money this semester, so wouldn't you like to know where that's going or what I'm going to do with it? People are like, oh, yeah, I should vote. Hold on. What are you doing with that money? <laughs> Opens it right up. Um, 
But I think you touched on something here, Liam, that's super important. Uh, and for all our non-student leader listeners who are out there, that was a weird uh, alliteration that I almost didn't get through. Kind of condescending, too. Our non-student leader <laughs> listeners. Um, the mere mortal. The, the, <laughs> the muggles out there in the world. Oh, my God. Um, you mean our valued members? Our valued listeners, uh, please subscribe and like the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what is the student association? Uh, when I was at NATSA, we would ask that question to the incoming student leaders to be like, what is a student association? And it would, it would unravel very, very quickly because the student association is like 36 businesses wrapped into one. You know, you're a, a professional PR firm, you're government relations. You're handling clubs and societies. You're also handling like taxation and finances and like government. Insurance. You're doing health and dental. You're doing insurance. Absolutely. You're doing like you're doing so many different things um, that it really is tough to understand what a student association is. So, you know, that's why I like to just explain things and, and talk to people who haven't had any experience in the student game or the student movement because, um, a lot of people see that you know, hundred bucks or, or you know, seventy to one hundred and fifty bucks for for a student association fee, and they think it's a ripoff. But really, the value that's created for that fee is unmatched, really, anywhere else in the marketplace. And and I think the most important thing that a student association does is advocacy. I think that was the primary purpose of student associations. Um, obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I'm the executive director of the. Uh, advocacy organization for all the student associations so i definitely <laughs> think that my job is important um but i don't know like when when you have students come into your essay what are they coming to you for like how are you actually serving your students what do they need in today's day and age let's start with austin you know it can be as simple as something that's the thing like you when you take on this role you are an ambassador you are the person that people feel comfortable coming to and so it can be i can get a message sometimes that something as simple as hey my d2l isn't working <laughs> and i'll also get messages like hey i'm really ticked off about the government's new hike on tuition things like that um so it can range and that's you have to be versatile in having to deal with those issues and communicating with them okay yes and uh yeah, it's 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 every day you get different things. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the job, and it really fits in with like Alberta's politics. I know we were talking about what associations are, and I think associations. The best way for me to describe it is almost like your political action committee that speaks for your students. Mm. Like if they are the people that will. They raise the funds for what your students need. They fight for what your students need. They are those people mostly. And advocacy is one of the biggest roles that we do. And holding government's feet to the fire is one of the most important roles. Mm -hmm. For sure. Liam? So, like, it, what, peop what people come to us for is, wow, it's like it's very ranged. I mean, are we counting the people walking into our on-campus bar who just want a cheap drink after class? Because that's a service we provide. That's a huge um, service. Huge service. Like, I needed a beer. We don't have a bar. Exams. We're not allowed alcohol on campus. You guys can come to ours. You guys can come to ours. Have you seen um, our plus 15s? <laughs> it's only two C train stops away, though, to get to State's Bar from you guys. So, um, yeah, head on over to the gateway. Um, 
so like there's that and then there's the other side of it where we're starting to we're building communities clubs we run all of the clubs have you ever like let's say you love chess and you're in chess club because you're me and you're a massive nerd then like boom i wouldn't have guessed that about you what wow thank you hey i'm wearing a (laughs) t-shirt from a skate shop okay i got i i contain multitudes um, <laughs> the layers of Liam. And how many how many clubs does Sates currently have? Because I know, like, for BBC, for example, we had a total collapse of clubs during. We had um, a partial COVID. collapse. I would say we had a partial and non-catastrophic, but pretty bad collapse. Of Interesting, clubs. really, just because we had so many that were in person. Right. Yeah. Like we had clubs like the D and D club yeah, yeah, that yeah. I think moved effectively online because there's a lot of resources to play D and D online. But then for like clubs, like I was the president of a club going into COVID, and I did shut down the club. It was in hibernation, and then COVID kept going, and so last year it didn't operate. And it was because it was a design team. We would ma- design and then manufacture in person an off-road vehicle and go race it in the states. And um, yeah. we couldn't. Do, we just couldn't do that. So whether it's clubs or or uh, doing things like that or there's something called the peer support center that I will always, always be plugging um, because it genuinely changes and saves lives. If okay. you ask me, it's like, a, it's a community where anyone is welcome. It's kind of our safe space on campus. Um, things like that, I think is what students see. And then the other side of it is the advocacy. Right. And I think, I think we do have just like Austin, I'll get an email that's just like, Hey, like, I don't know how to sign into my email. And I'll be like, cool, here's who you should be emailing. I'm like, go email Gary um, or Bob or whatever. And uh, I can help in that way. But then when I have a student just be like, Oh, isn't it crazy that like the government is, I can't believe I'm paying this tuition. I can email them back and be like, thank you. Like I will, I will continue our work on this. And I'll be like, Oh, you can do something about this. And I can respond honestly and be like, just say yes 100 percent. we have students who wanted to be we had international students who wanted to be treated more like they were on a, a track to permanent residency the government just gave forty thousand international students a fast track to pr that was in a direct response to advocacy that was happening on the federal level that we were involved with mm-hmm. so i get to talk to those students and say hey like we were your voice was added to that crowd that that got that done and it's a small step in the right direction but it's a step all the same Oh, Liam, I'm so happy you said that. Uh, I'm going to say 95% of the work that my organization, that our organization does, um, no one has any idea that we did anything. Um, but honestly, and, and I, I, I can't get into details because, you know, hashtag politics. But honestly, um, we've saved the students of this province millions upon millions upon millions of dollars over over just a, a few short years and so um yeah advocacy works advocacy is important um but advocacy is never really seen uh at, at the student level students don't really understand what it is we're doing well and if I you do your job important. right the bad thing doesn't happen <laughs> and then no one knows <laughs> yeah. exactly. i think it's important to also say like all those millions of dollars that we save like those are hours and hours of meetings preparing for meetings um and, you know, meetings like this, this is one thing, but I don't think anyone can prepare you for the feeling of looking into the Department of Education's eyes and saying something that might come off as um, controversial or telling them we don't like that or creating somewhere where there could be conflict. And you're just a student. The power dynamic is huge. 
And so it's just one of those things where no one can prepare you for that. And there's so many hours of that that represents it. So like when we talk about how many hours go underrepresented as student leaders, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think there are still members of my family that think like I'm essentially the same as like a class president when they were in high school. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know how to explain what I do to you. <laughs> like it's I, difficult. I it's do hard. So much stuff. It's hard. My, I still think that a lot of my family doesn't really get it. They're just like, "Oh, you're the manager for some organization. Good for you. He did it. You're the manager. Yeah. Go get him." Well, and it's hard to show like concrete. Like if uh, I, I had a student ask me, like, "Well, what have you accomplished in May?" And I know that in one month, that's hard to say anything. But even then, like, if you look at like a year, it's hard to look at accomplishments when, like. What they see as an accomplishment is the change being made. What we see as the accomplishment is conversations initiated, right. uh, talks being started. You know, like yeah. progress isn't always seen. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating is like you have no idea what we did. No <laughs> idea. And, and we're around for a year and the, almost all of the things that we do take years. And so yeah. so someone will be like, well, what did you accomplish in May? And you're like, what did your elected official accomplish in May? Like your yeah. MLA didn't do anything in May. If you're using that kind of uh, that kind of lens, like it, the progress was the fact that a guy who wasn't talking to us before somewhere in Edmonton is now talking to us. And so we're like one step closer. Yeah. When I was a student leader in 2012 to 2014, so I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, I went to back to school really late. Like I was 20 four or five when i went back to post-secondary wow so thank was... you <laughs> austin you look like you're 12 so i don't know what the problem is <laughs> uh... <laughs> that's also not a compliment but I'll, I'll take it <laughs> like, it's okay austin here's another insult <laughs> yeah now you're starting to get my stuff okay um but yeah when i was a student leader in 2012 to 2014 we were fighting for things on the political stage like getting um getting tuition tied to CPI, taking that out of the regulation and putting that into legislation. That was my like hill to die on when I was a student leader and, and we fought really hard for it. Um, that didn't actually happen until 2019, until Bill 19. Um, so that happened five years after I'd left the student game movement. Um, but it started back then. It started with the ASEC group back then being like, no, this is not correct. The minister can just change this whenever he feels like, he or she feels like. Um, let's put it into legislation. There has to be sober debate about it. There has to be a much broader process of consultation around it if it's in legislation. And the government at the day said, uh, noted, thank you so much for your feedback and uh, please vote for us in the next election. And then they left. And so it did take a number of s- political cycles to get that work <laughs> done. And, and I think the hardest part about being a student leader, and you two haven't experienced this yet, is uh, the first day after you're not a student leader and you have to let go of all those projects and all that momentum and you have to hand it off to someone else and hope and pray that they uh, take it and see it through (laughs) and actually accomplish something. Um, So good luck. Uh, yeah, it's like, what are we doing now? It's like I'm operating on a federal, provincial, and municipal level on like a thousand projects, a thousand files, federal twice. So we're in the FSAA as well as as well as another organization. Um, and then, like, I don't know, sometime next year, I'm gonna have to explain that to a to some like guy in HR who's interviewing me, and I'll be like, I was class president in my high school. Like, I know what you're talking about. And it's like, no, man, just 
just know like i have like I later today something? i'm gonna be writing a test to try and like become a nominee to get on the board of trustees for a trust fund that handles millions of dollars of insurance and like that's nice. how our insurance plan goes through like how do i put that on a resume you don't you, you just, don't you just cry <laughs> Cry silently, knowing that no one will ever appreciate your experiences. What were you going to say, Austin? I don't know. I'm so I'm so caught up in that insurance thought. I was like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good system. I'll tell you about it later. All right, guys. So I want to shift gears just slightly here. There's another. There's a secret reason I wanted the two of you to join me on this podcast today. And here, um, here's no. the secret reason. Uh, you two might be uh, the most political uh, two student leaders that we have in this intake. Um, n- I'm making no bones. Partisan or political? Polit- have political. you seen our Facebook chat yet? Not, not partisan, <laughs> but just politically engaged, politically active uh, individuals. Um, so I just want to talk politics for like a little bit, and I'm I'm oh, sure you're both into saucy. it. <laughs> Um, so here's where I want to start. Uh, let's start with our municipal elections, um, which are going to be happening here when October. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who, what are your bets uh, in Cal? You're both in Calgary. So what are your bets for mayor down in Calgary? Dude, I can't comment on this. Why? <laughs> yeah. I have to. I have meetings with all of these people. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> What am I supposed to be like? Oh yeah, it's gonna be X, and then Y gets elected, and I send him a message in a couple months, being like, "Hey, copy." Hey, that was that was weird when you got elected. Uh... Like, <laughs> honestly, I'm controversial, so I have no problem. See, I'm here ready. we go. I'm I'm into Shoot, it. Shooter, awesome. let's hear it. <laughs> so honestly, just because I I have been born and raised in Calgary, I think Calgary's gonna sway right, and we're gonna hit up Farkas. I think that Jeremy Farkas will hit mayor. I would love, 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 love to see uh, Councillor G.O.T. Uh, become mayor. However, I think that it's an uphill battle with the fact that she's not only a woman, but also a woman of color uh, in a city that isn't as accepting as it could be. Yeah. So I think that Jeremy Farkas will become mayor likely. He also is campaigning on something that Calgarians really, really resonated with, with Ralph Klein and that's and Rick MacGyver with the Dr. No and no, 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 no. And he really is working that campaign. And so I think that's going to take him far in this city because that we're really into nostalgic campaigns, as you can see by when Jason Kenney got elected. Is, <laughs> is that the feel in, in Calgary? Are you feeling it swinging a bit more conservative? Oh, yeah. I will, oh, I will yeah. counterpoint to this. Okay. I am not, I'm not sure. It depends on where you go in the city. Mm, okay. Frankly. Um, I think... Uh, I just have to mention, because you said the name Jyoti, um, on the invitation I got to sit down with her, and I think it was fine to say, there was a logo of a cup of coffee that said, a cup of Joe to spill the tea. Ah. And I was just like, oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> like, that's, put that on every, put that on everything. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I think I think there are a lot of strong campaigns being run. There's a lot of weak campaigns being run, too. I think it's kind of a crowded field. Um, mm. I think when you look in your kind of inner city, you see much more progressive candidates, pro- uh, candidates like Courtney Walcott in Ward 8. Yes. Um, resonating very strongly with the youth. Uh, Jody Gondek, of course, citywide, um, who I think has strong 
strong ties to a lot of different wards and a lot of different counselors and, and other candidates as well. And I think there's a lot of uh, friendliness there. I think what we're going to see strategically is it's going to come down to, as you said, Austin, that the campaign of no versus the campaign of, of, of yes. And this isn't like a value statement on either of them. Yeah. I think these are the strategies these candidates are really boiling down to. And I think in a way, every candidate, whether it's Jeff Davison, Bradfield, Jody or, or Farkas, can be boiled down to their rawest form as either like, are they yes for like things like the green line, which is a transit line in Calgary, um, it, or are they no? And like, no, we just need to pause everything because we're in an economic downturn and we just need to go austere, full austerity mode. And I think that's really going to be the battle. I will mention though, because I never shut up, is that, is that because the province has a uh, say over municipal election rules, there are going to be re provincial referendums on our municipal yeah. ballots. So the reason I think Austin, you may be correct, is that we can almost guarantee that conservative voters will turn out in droves to vote in that referendum. Oh, interesting. What do you think is the question for the referendum? Uh, it's going to be an equalization, payments. yeah. Oh, equalization right, payments. right, right, right. Just like absolutely, you can be dead set that conservatives are going to show up in droves. And since it's supposed Which to be Which is why they didn't election, want this. Like yeah. when the municipal affairs minister at the time was uh, Casey Madu, he was the one that announced this. They didn't want this because that basically brings political action committees, things like that, into the municipal affairs arena. And so now we're going to see people that are donating to campaigns that could be uh, dangerous provincially that we voted against supporting people locally. And yeah. so um, it's going to be interesting. And at a local level, there's less laws around releasing those donors. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what we can i i you know i i said we were gonna swing conservative but i have to say uh and since i've been alive we've had liberal mayors in right, Calgary, right. and we are a right-wing city so uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that continues because there's been there's been lots of opportunity for us to swing right and we haven't so there, there has and like i i think my not not necessarily concern. No, it's a concern. Um, <laughs> municipal elections are supposed to be nonpartisan. And I yeah. think for for better or worse, um, the actions of the current provincial government have not, them. whether it was consciously yeah. intended or not, I'm really trying to like pad this, um, yeah. have made them partisan. And um, if I were someone who wanted to oust city council in Calgary of the liberal stronghold that it's kind of become, that is, that's what I would do. <laughs> well, and an important thing to bring up also in this next election is seven of the 13 seats are up for grabs. So that means the majority of seats. Huge and turn so if you have councillors like Jeremy Farkas or G.O.T. Gondick that become mayor, there's going to be a lot of scapegoating. So like Diane Colley Urquhart, who's been on council for years, is anything that becomes a Calgary issue, uh, if they have to raise property taxes in Calgary and they vote yes on it, even if those councillors vote no on it, they're going to get blamed by the new councillors. New councillors are always going to blame the old administration. And so I, when I see some of these councillors rerunning after all these years, I think like you have to question like, don't you think you're gonna be the scapegoat? You're gonna yep. be. They're gonna blame you. You're the one that voted for that. 
<laughs> I think I think part of the turnover in the council as well is that we've seen two of like the major figures on council as like moderate left-leaning moderates, Gondek and, and Davison, have both vacated their ward seats to run for mayor. And so let's say someone like Farkas or, or Field wins, we end up seeing two more vacancies for kind of that moderate, uh, moderate kind of left-leaning um, spots on council. So it becomes even more important who's running in those wards to replace them. And I don't think, frankly, I, I think other than insiders, I think a lot of people were assuming that Davison wasn't going to run. He'd already announced for for his, his counselor campaign when he announced his mayoral campaign. And all of a sudden people were kind of scrambling to be like, oh, man, maybe I should run in Ward 6. Um, so very interesting times in Calgary. Yeah. Wow. You, you do know a lot. And Liam, you didn't even want to say anything, huh? All right, let's shift to provincial. Politics. I make no value statements. No, that was I good. Am... You're good. You're you're a well seasoned bureaucrat, I believe was the phrase that you used. Well uh, seasoned? Am I going to be eaten? I don't know. Hey, I... that's whatever you do in your personal life, man. That's up to you. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. Um, provincially, uh, things have been on fire provincially here. Um. You know, I have to ask, John, you yeah. said that that policy that you passed in 2012 took, or 2014 took till 2019. Was that something that our NDP government put through uh, the NDP, before they left office? That's right. The NDP government did put it through, although um, from what I had heard, there had been some progress with the Jim Prentice government as well uh, in getting something like that passed. And so there was kind of some bipartisan support, but it was the NDP government okay. who had passed it. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I'm all for whoever is going to give the students of this province the best deal. That's, that's who I'm rooting for. That's uh, what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I want to give, that's like, if people always come to me and they say like, you must be pro NDP, pro Notley. And it's like, I'm pro whoever's going to do the job. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's honestly what it comes down to. Uh, I wanted Jason Kenny to have a chance. I think that COVID... Yep did hamper that i also think that his government personally and from what we've seen in the news and the media as well has made decisions that albertans don't agree with mm. and uh then he takes them back which is right. good they're listening to albertans it's just like maybe listen before you put the motion out listen fast you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i oh man this government uh provincially has gotten themselves into some real hot water here's where it all started okay here's when the tailspin started in my opinion uh christmas time when half of their mlas oh, no. took off um <laughs> i think that was uh the beginning of like the death knell uh death knell um but you I know, know i think it was uh Dwayne Bratt at MR Royal. It could have been someone else, but as someone said that that was equivalent to Jim Prentice looking Notley in the face and saying, I know math is hard. Math is like, hard. Like that was just one of those moments yeah. that just, yeah. that was, yeah. It, it leaves a sour taste in everyone's mouth, right? I think I was, I, like, this is, I don't think, you know what? Maybe it's something. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Like, I personally, as an Albertan, was upset. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. to see those MLAs traveling. And um, I still don't think if you had asked me then, in all of my rage and vigor, that it, did I think that Todd Lowen was going to write that letter that he wrote? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I just, 
like I still would have been like, no, no way. Everyone will rally behind him and they'll all just like shield up. And then they proceeded to tear each other apart. Well, like, and that's what's confusing is like, I think the third party in the polls right now, other than Alberta party is the wild, new wild rose party. Yeah, it's like, yeah. why, why haven't we seen this before? Yeah, I've watched this movie. I know the ending. Right? <laughs> we know so... you're all going to die at the end of this movie. I don't know why we're doing this again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's exact. It's the same name. You didn't even choose a different character plot. You just literally were like, <laughs> let's just try it again. <laughs> and so I, I'm very confused. Um, provincially, I think that, like you said, like I don't think I suspected it either, them to split with him. It's like watching the United Conservative Party become ununited in a very short, short span of time. And the crazy thing I to me that, is that they're splitting yeah. with him because he's not being conservative enough. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's like the hero with a thousand faces, yeah. but like politics edition. It's this weird cycle. Like the PCs had to join with the wild rose now the ucp has to join with the new wild rose like what's right. going to happen in 10 years like the mega rose like the wildest <laughs> rose party it's rose. like their, ent their entire platform is like get rid of the entire government and like rodeos <laughs> and rodeos go rodeos I, I i'm not even hating on rodeos <laughs> but i do i'm a, I'm a fan of the government um, I the will. Concept of it. I, I will say uh, we were pretty concerned at the beginning of this government's term because their first budget was pretty brutal. Um, lots of cuts announced, and they followed through with many of those, um, unfortunately. But I will have to give them a bit of credit here. Over the past, we'll call it nine months, um, with the Alberta Twenty Thirty strategy, they've taken it from something that was um, potentially uh, potentially risky to something that's actually really quite student-focused as far as the commitments that they've put out and the strategy they put yeah. out. Um, you know, whether or not they stick to those commitments and whether or not they follow that strategy, that's a different question. But at least, you know, they listened and uh, they're doing some good stuff. So, again... Well, and, like, I, it's, so, it's so interesting to see how this is playing out in, like, everywhere. Alberta 2030, we had the new draft curriculum. Mm -hmm. We had so many things be passed and we're still talking about um that letter yeah <laughs> there's so many things that are happening and the focus is on that's why i think that it's they're in a bit of a garbage fire right now because oh, yeah. they um they can't escape it even and i have to question like brian jean wrote an opinion ed and i have to question like what was the point of that like that's your party what was what does that do? That was personal. So that's where I question things. <laughs> that that was a little uh, that was a little from me from me to you. <laughs> I had nothing to do with politics. I will I will like give props to anyone who just like holds up their principles above their party, which is like you know I'm all for that in theory, but also like what's your game? Like what's yeah. what's your game? What's mm -hmm. your follow through? And exactly. I think this, I think we're seeing this storm. I think we're seeing this storm like this kind of bum rush like right to the end of just like all right let's try and pass everything because oh, yeah. we're going to be going to an election next year and and we'll see what happens um and i think they also know that people are about to get really distracted like if i wanted to pass whatever i wanted right now i would do it in late august early september when no one's paying attention 
Yeah, because of probably the next thing you want to bring up, which is the federal election. How did you know, Liam? <laughs> I was just going to say uh, we have a minority feb- federal government. They typically last about a year and a half on average. Um, and we're about there now with this government, aren't we? Pretty close, I think. I haven't yeah. checked. Yeah. Um, almost two years. Almost two years. So they're a little overripe if, uh, if you're looking at the stats. Um, okay. Under over on September. Do you think it's going to happen before September or after September? What do we think? Election day. Just well, election day legally has to happen in October and the third Monday. The the yeah. the writ being dropped by then. Do you think? Well, the, they need thirty days to can't. They only can do okay. it for max of thirty days. So right. I'm gonna guess probably September, mid September, beginning of September. Yeah. Is what you think? Yeah, I'm gonna say under. Under is under before September because I would say that. Yeah. If I have to choose before, I would say before. If it's before the end of September, yeah. Okay. 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 But it, yeah. ha- it has to be. It has to be. So where are they going to? is happen? though. It all depends on like I know that I was reading this week that he got his picks for governor general, and okay. they got to get a governor general in there first because if you have a chief justice swearing off on an election on a government that's going to make laws that they will one day hopefully or possibly have to proceed over in court, there's a conflict of interest there. Right. So yeah. we need a governor general in place fast. We need a representative of the queen. Yes. I'm not doing an election without old yeah. Elizabeth's old right. Liz's teammate there. Let's fly old Liz back in here for a year. He's yeah, not, maybe she's not doing anything. Why don't they just give it back to David Johnston? Like, he was there for so long. It's like, yeah, you did good. Well, they, they <laughs> wanted to try out a freestyle, a freestyle artist GG um, and see how that would work out. Turns out not great. Turns out when yeah. your GG just goes rogue on the throne speech. It's, uh... <laughs> but she went into space. She was an astronaut. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I've made this joke to you guys before, but I'm going to make it again for the podcast. And it's uh, we had a former astronaut as our last one, so it follows that we need an active astronaut. Nice for yeah. the new GG. Like someone, I want to throw in speech from the ISS. <laughs> I love it. Real bad. <laughs> I love it. Hey guys, uh, we're at an hour and eight minutes recording time right now. We that flew by for me. I don't know about you guys. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, this has been a much more successful attempt at a podcast than our first attempt at a podcast. Uh, I'm going to take all the blame for that. Don't worry. Um, you probably should. I, it's my <laughs> fault entirely. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe before we head out, um, if there's anything you wanted to plug or any kind of work that's going on, uh, let us know what's going on in your world right now. Austin. Uh, right now, I'm revamping our Pride Club, getting Pride Club back in the map, um, and we are trying to make sure that takes off internally. Externally, I am fighting to the nail to make sure that we are represented on the board of directors on ASEC, nice. and also making sure that we're represented in our Calgary Student Alliance. So uh, that's where I'll be. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. What about you, Liam? Um, I'm just gonna be, you, you know, my, you know, the motto of the asterisk podcast. It's always be plugging. So I'm ABP. gonna plug the asterisk, ABP, and um, I think we're. I don't know if we're gonna be doing summer episodes. You might have to listen to the backlog. But our Christmas episode from last 
year was still waiting for my invite for when you do record episodes never gonna arrive and um (laughs) (laughs) you can always listen to the uh you can always listen to the backlog it's some good stuff and we'll be back in the fall though ryan morstad previous president and my co-host uh has like all student leaders vanished um into an infinity war like dust which is what happens when our terms end yeah that's we we evaporate back into stardust yeah and um I will before I sign off. I can say uh, the way that I think I'm probably going to end every asterisk episode from now on. We kind of said it in a couple episodes. Please don't cancel us. That would be uh, um, phenomenal. Like, subscribe, and please don't get mad at what we say. (laughs) Well, on that note, thanks everyone for listening. This has been another edition of Advancing Education. Uh, We have some more great guests lined up in future episodes, so stay tuned. Thanks again, guys. Thanks so much, John. Hey, thanks again for listening. Really appreciate all of our listeners tuning in. This has been another Alberta Students Podcast. We'll have another episode for you in a couple weeks. Until then, I've been Jonathan Billado, your host. See you next time.